Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the show. It's Thursday, July 19th, and lots of race fans will tell you, horse racing that is, will tell you that this show coincides with the unofficial start of the summer as we are embarking upon the openers at Del Mar and at Saratoga Racecourse. We had the opening day at Del Mar yesterday, of course, and the opening day at Saratoga tomorrow. But we're going to get things started off by talking Dodger Blue. Gino bleeds Dodger Blue. Humongous trade yesterday, of course, for the Manny Machado sweepstakes and the Dodgers win. Let's first start off. How are you feeling today, Gino? Are you on cloud nine? Because this obviously makes the Dodgers the absolute favorite to get back to the World Series from the National League. Our, sh- our show has had some funny timing over the last month. It, Hasn't it? I know. Because like a month ago, we were talking on a Thursday. Is LeBron going to come to L.A.? And then the next week, LeBron was here. And then we were talking uh, last week about Kawhi getting traded to Toronto, and Kawhi's in Toronto now. And we were also talking about where's Machado going to go? Who's going to get Machado? Is it going to be the Dodgers a week later? He's with the Dodgers. It's funny. A lot of the things we've discussed as topics, like a week later, it's completely changed and flipped and uh, unbelievable blockbuster trade. And as a Dodger fan, I love this trade mainly because... They were able to send five prospects, and they didn't have to give away really any of the top-tier prospects, none of the top three, and they didn't have to give away anyone who's a current contributor on this team. So I think this was a great, great trade from the Dodgers. And even, you know, this is one of those trades that might be good for both because if you're Baltimore, he's leaving at the end of the year. You got five prospects out of him. So even if they're not top-tier of the line prospects, you still got a good one. I think the, the number four prospect in the Dodgers uh, system, who was one of the top hundred still in baseball. And you, you have a, a, a nice nucleus of young players that you were getting, and you weren't going to get anything from Machado if you just kept them to the end of the year. So I like the move a lot, Mike. But the move that I mentioned last week, I would really love to see the Dodgers now because they didn't have to give up Verdugo or Bueller or Urias, or Jock, or any of the other players that are on the team now, I'd love that for them to trade, go two prospects, maybe one of the players on the team, and try to somehow go get DeGrom or another starting pitcher. For me, it's DeGrom. They have a lot of left-handed starters. Could you imagine a, a right-handed stud like DeGrom to have for a year and a half on your squad now with Kershaw, with guys like you know Bueller, Stripling's had a good year, Wood. That's the thing about the Dodgers. They don't have really like a number one right now because Kershaw hasn't really been himself. They don't really even have a number two, but they have like seven guys who are like a number three through a number five starter. So that's where their depth really comes into play. You've made so many good points. Do you know, I don't even know where to start. I like your, let's start from the ending though, with DeGrom and your, your, your last point there. I think that's a fantastic idea for the Dodgers. If we look back to see what was the secret sauce, if you will, what was the formula for the San Francisco Giants to win the three World Series over a short period of time? To me, when I look at it, I see that you kind of had the torch handed off from, let's say, Lincecum at the peak of his dominance to a Matt Cain to a Madison Bumgarner. So if you want to retain, you know, 
the, the, the crown, if you will, in the National League, in the National League West, you're going to have to look at it from that perspective. Okay, we've had Kershaw for peak years. Are his best years behind him? Probably. Maybe there's another one or two years of, of dominant Kershaw. But who's going to be the next guy that you're going to hand it off to, right? So now they've developed Walker Bueller. He looks like he, he's got the stuff to be a number one. I worry a little bit about his frame. But once again, if you're able to get a, a DeGrom, then now you're talking about being able to do replicate kind of what the San Francisco Giants did, but with one big difference. They've got sticks. They've got sticks up and down the lineup, especially now with Manny Machado. Yeah, it, and it's a perfect fit because Seager's gone for the year. Um, Machado will fill in perfectly at shortstop. He can play that position every day. And now that the lineup and the versatility that this Dodgers lineup has is is just going to be. They're going to have five guys on the bench that are like legitimate starters, legitimate MLB starters who would be playing for other teams. So um, this lineup is going to be very, very tough to deal with. And what's nice is that this has been a Dodgers lineup that's been hitting a lot of home runs recently, but they've ebbed and flowed throughout the year. Remember, they had a brutal start to the year, so they moved. Uh, they moved well. They had a good like month and a half. Now you have a guy like Machado who is really going to just steady your lineup because Turner's been a little beat up. He hasn't really had that strong of a year. It'll take a little pressure off of him. And what happens now if you're able to make a move for another pitcher? There, then. You know, we saw success that Maeda had when he moved to the bullpen last year. I mentioned a guy like uh, Julio Urias, who's had a an injury. He hasn't pitched in a long time, but he's going to be coming back. I don't think he's going to be able to, you know, throw starter innings, but could he come out of the bullpen and give you a good inning or two? Absolutely. And he has legitimate stuff. So what's nice, if you make a trade for like one of those top line starters, then we have there's a lot of guys you can shift back into the bullpen to really strengthen your bullpen without having to go get a bullpen arm. So, you know, it'll it'll work twofold, and I'm really keeping my fingers crossed because I'd love to see the Dodgers right now. You made the move for Machado. You didn't have to give up that much as far as top tier. Go all in right now. Go get DeGrom or somebody similar that's going to be a top-of-the-line number one, number two type pitcher and just say, let's go all in right now because – who in the National League really scares you, right? This, this is the National League's a little down this year. Honestly, we we don't know. We're it's, it's tough to know what we're, we're going to expect from a team like the Phillies or the Braves if they get into the playoffs. Um, you know, it, it looks like the Cubs and the Dodgers. It, it really does. I know there's a lot of baseball to be played, but right now, if you were to project, you would project the Cubs and the Dodgers. So, the teams to beat really are all in the American League right now. When you have the Yankees, the Red Sox, and you know even the the Mariners, and then obviously the Astros. So. I think right now you have to go do it. This You have another great opportunity to win the National League. Go get a starter. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be interested. And by the way, you excluded two teams for good reason, uh, the Brewers and the Diamondbacks. Both very, very inconsistent. The Brewers have not been playing good baseball. I think they've lost six straight going into the All-Star break. And I like Brewers the Brewers. Team, yeah. yeah, they were a team that was in contention for Machado. And, and that was going to segue to my next point, which is uh, – you know, you kind of defended in a roundabout way the what the Orioles got back, the, the return on the trade. I, I beg to differ. I think they royally – this was highway robbery, man. I think they, the, the Dodgers absolutely got the better end of this deal. Like you said, didn't have to give up any starters, anybody like a Walker Bueller or a Jock Peterson even, that they could trot out onto the field at Camden Yards come – Friday when they're playing and they're minus Machado. What did they get? Oh, guys that are going to be coming up in a couple of years. Give me a break. I think if they'd waited till 
a little bit closer to the trade deadline when you got to see the pressure that some of these teams are under. I think what they were worried about was that the Dodgers were kind of starting to separate themselves a little bit, even though within the standings they're only half game up, but they've made up so much ground that maybe by the time the trade deadline comes, maybe they're five, six games up already on the Diamondbacks, and maybe the need isn't so great. But I'll tell you what, you've lost a lot of your leverage with the Brewers, with the Phillies, with teams that are probably going to be right there, not having a lot of separation. I think you could have got a lot more out of them. So uh, to me, I think two thumbs down for what the Orioles did strategically speaking not getting back a starter somebody could come in right now or a top line prospect I mean they didn't get either or so to me not not a very good move but you're right I think this puts the Dodgers as the absolute favorite in the National League right behind them are probably going to be the Cubs and like you said we don't know exactly where we're going to be getting playoff baseball wise pitching from the Braves or for the Phillies so you got to give it to the experience LA Dodgers are the team to beat yeah, you got to go for it. I don't know what the uh, the other teams were going to offer for Machado, but that you know, that was also a big deal for the Dodgers making this trade. In that it not only did they get Machado, but you block Machado from going to one of those other teams who you might have exactly. had to face in the playoffs. So that's Great you know, point. that's twofold. Not only getting him, but blocking him, which are little games that we've seen the Dodgers and the Giants play a lot with each other with waivers and things like that. You know, it's gamesmanship uh, a Absolutely. lot of the time. And, you know, and the I, Orioles played that, too, by the way, if I may interject. Yeah, the Orioles yeah. made sure that he didn't get to New York, which had some interest in him, uh, or, or Boston, of course. And, and if so maybe, you notice, American League East is really good about doing that. I mean, they've been a good trade partner for the Dodgers for some time now. I mean, look at the Red and, Sox and the Dodgers' relationship, you know, starting from Manny Ramirez, Josh Beckett, Carl Crawford, and Adrian Gonzalez, so on and so forth. They always look to get out of the American League East in terms of trade partners and let's send them out West, send them as far as possible, a division that we only get to play once every few years. The only time we'll ever come back to bite us in the butt is in the World Series. Yeah, and, and that might have been kind of like what we saw with the Kawhi trade. It, he wants to go to New York. He wants to play against one of our rivals. How about let's just send him as far away as possible in the yeah, other uh, side LA, of the right? Yeah, for so that's from, from Baltimore. They send him to L.A. Let's send yep. him to the National League from the American. Kind of like what we saw them do with Kawhi. Kawhi wanted to go to L.A. and Pop's going, you know what? Nah, let's send you to the Eastern Conference and we're going to send you to Toronto instead. So, exactly. you know, we'll send you as far away as possible. Uh, at least at least it seems like whether or not we agree with it and whether or not the trade might have been the, the best deal. At least it seems like the Orioles are going to ha- have a plan now. And that's. We're going to take the plan that the Astros did a few years back, the Cubs did a few years back, even the Phillies and the Braves did, and now it looks like the Padres are doing as we can kind of transition to the other trade that was made that you actually uh, uh, told me about this morning, that the Padres traded with the Indians. They gave reliever Brad Hand to the Indians, um, and as the Padres just continue to try to rebuild, they got back a couple more prospects, and now they're trying to do that rebuild, which I think Baltimore is also trying to do and just – Tanking is really what it is. Let's just kind of give up the rest of the year and let's just try to stockpile as many prospects as we can and hope that some of them hit. Yeah, Brad, uh, Brad Hand, great trade for the Cleveland Indians. Uh, he just signed an extension before this year, so he's all locked up. Great left-handed reliever, high strikeout guy, could come in um, in the eighth inning as a setup guy, but he's been used by the Padres as a closer. We'll be interested to see how Francona utilizes Brad Hand out of that Beat up Cleveland bullpen. I think this now puts them right back in the conversation. Yeah. Not as sexy of a name as the Astros, Red Sox, and the Yankees, but 
Cleveland equally as dangerous. Uh, you know, they can beat you in a lot of different ways. The Padres get back Francisco Mejia. He's a top prospect from the catching position, can also play outfield. This now puts the Padres in a pretty good situation for the future because at least on paper, they've got three out of the top six prospects in all of baseball with Francisco Mejia, Fernando Tatis Jr., and Mackenzie Gore. So good trade, I think, for both sides. This is one that I would give a good uh, review on both ends. I think it works out for both teams equally well for now and for the future. So let's show a transition. To uh, yeah. horse racing for a minute, yeah, then we can get back quick, to baseball. Real quick, let's finish this and let's take a quick break, and then we can bring Scott in, and we'll and we'll, then we'll focus on. Uh, but you know, with with Miller likely coming back, and Allen struggling, and their bullpen struggling, you think they're going to come back to life? And I and I think what I really like about this trade too, Mike, you mentioned they're not as sexy of a name, but they're in such a weak division, and they have a seven and a half lead. They're going to be able to just kind of coast you know, through the second half of the season and kind of start to figure things out. So they're a team, as we've seen, you don't, you like, if you're the Yankees or the Red Sox, like Cleveland's not a team that you're just going to think you can go right through. You know, they're, they're going to be a difficult out. They're going to be a difficult team to get through. So uh, a couple of big trades, uh, as we saw just in the last few days, as baseball season is starting to ramp up. Why don't we take a quick break? Then we can come back and we can have an extra long segment with Scott. That sounds good. Let's do it. So uh, we'll be back with Scott Shapiro. We'll be talking Saratoga racing, a little bit of Del Mar racing. Scott Shapiro, of course, with Brisnet and Twin Spires. So stay with us, and we will be back in a brief moment. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Do you love sports talk? Can't get enough sports talk? Have we got a show for you. It's about the NFL training camps, Super Bowl previews, a look at the new starting quarterbacks, and weekly key injuries. We'll take your calls and emails right on the air. Former Philadelphia Eagle James Loving is your host, and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot. Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps on and off the field and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby on Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports.
This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Well, our next guest, uh, I think he's above five, which means he's above Kobe. I think he's above six, which means he's above Jordan. This might be the seventh or eighth time he's joining us. I think he's been on our show more than anyone. It is our good friend, Scott Shapiro, handicapper, race and sports analyst for Twin Spires. And he'll be talking some Saratoga opening weekend with us. Shapper, what's going on, buddy? What's up, Scotty? What's up? What's up, guys? Good to be back. I'm, I'm honored to be mentioned in the same breath as uh, the greats of like Kobe and uh, LeBron, I think you just said, huh? Jordan, <laughs> you're above them now. I think you're above all of them. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So when we would talk with you a lot of the time uh, before, it would be about the uh, the SoCal races. I When I hung out with you a lot or when I would uh, converse with you, we'd be talking about Santa Anita or Del Mar or something. But your focus is going to shift a lot this summer, and you're going to be over on the East Coast handicapping the Saratoga races. Tell us a little bit about what you'll be doing and, and kind of how you got into doing the Saratoga stuff. Yeah, well, fortunately for me, I'll be able to focus on both Del Mar and Saratoga. Um, I'm working actually in the Churchill Downs corporate office now when Churchill's not running especially, but uh, I was brought on full-time, and the way it's worked out, I get to focus pretty much my entire life on Saratoga and Del Mar, which is great you know i love being in on the southern california circuit but there was always other little things that when i was there that didn't allow me to focus on saratoga quite as much as before this year you know saratoga is where i kind of learned to love horse racing my dad would take me uh, there for about three days each summer so i'm really excited to be all in on both and you know really be able to dive into these saratoga cards because they're just you know so deep so great for betting and so great for following quality horses any uh fantastic memories uh you know anything that stands out whether it's you know in your youth or 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 recently from saratoga that really uh you know good story-wise that stands out for you yeah i mean you know mike i mean it's more of a overall picture of saratoga for me i I used to always I, i went there for a couple about four or five years ago i think i went twice for about three weeks at a time and i would always leave right before the travers because it was just too chaotic and we and my dad would go out. My dad didn't love the crowds as much, so we would go up on Sunday and stay for Sunday and Monday, which the Monday racing was great for us. So I didn't get to see, you know, some of the all-timers run that you would if you went on a Saturday, but um, certainly a lot of great memories, just not any specific race, but just the ambiance there. And um, it's second to none in terms of if you're a horse player, uh, being able to, to kind of have a 24-7 horse experience, even when you walk off the track, it's still all horse racing all the time on the strip there and whatnot. So that's kind of what I remember more than anything. Well, that's always one of the questions. You know, you get you get the Saratoga, you get the Del Mar. Crazy enough, I've actually never, I've been to Belmont, Aqueduct. I've been to a couple of tracks in Meadowlands, Monmouth, but never been to uh, to Saratoga. So that's definitely, I think, number one for me on the bucket list of, uh, of tracks to visit. But we want to visit the uh, we want to visit the windows often for caching purposes, Scott. So let's jump into the Friday opening day Saratoga card. Let's just kind of uh, let's go through the pick five a little bit. You can just kind of tell us, you know, who we need to use in the in the pick five races, and then we'll sink our teeth into the stakes for Friday and then for Saturday, and we'll kind of see some of the uh, the big stars who show up 
at Saratoga for the first few days. So we kick things off on Friday with a mile and an eighth, $25,000 claimer on the main track. Um, talk about wide open races right at the start. And just as you mentioned, the handicapping is so fun. If, if you're a person who doesn't like to watch replays and look at charts and really handicap the races, then these races are not for you because uh, you're going to spend a lot of time sinking through these. Yeah, absolutely. I saw Andy Sterling and Naira actually tweet out something similar to that uh, yesterday. Just kind of remind you why you enjoyed handicapping so much. You know, we get into a lot of these six-horse fields with four to five shots, and you kind of decide whether you're going to try to beat or play. But these are real real races, figuring out the flow, looking for trips, looking for all sorts of angles. And, um, you know, they start this first race a mile and an eighth, so it's right in front of the crowd, and we'll get to Larry Coleman. They're off at Saratoga, and we'll all be excited. I'm hoping to get number seven, hardly a secret home in, in the opener. I do think it's wide open, and I'll use a couple in the pick five. But this horse ran into a real a razor-sharp horse that I saw run a couple times at Churchill. Tis Noble um, was claimed a number of times over the past six months, and it was razor-sharp. was not that much of a match for, um, for Tis Noble, but the fact that he ran into a live horse at a little bit of a higher level, I think he uh, should sit a good trip. Tom Amos, obviously a very capable horseman. He's 36% second off the claim. He gets Jose Ortiz. So he's my top pick. And then, and then I think number five, believe in luck. It, it's a tough read with this horse, as a lot of horses will be at Saratoga because they take big drops, and you always have to you know figure out if they're dropping because they're not sound or if they're dropping because they want to visit the winner's circle of you know the most prestigious track, arguably, in the country. So I'm going to use number five, Believe in Luck, along with number seven, Hardly a Secret. But if Hardly a Secret's four to one, like he's morning line, I'm probably going to have a wager on him as well. Hey, Scott, before we move on from race one, I wanted to ask you, do you uh, have any insight as to the weather forecast for tomorrow? And the reason I ask is because there's a long shot in here, the number three, too fast to pass. And I made a note for myself that if it was going to be a rainy or a muddy track, that this was a long shot that I definitely wanted to include, at least in, uh, in the uh, you know, vertical wagers at 20 to one. Uh, do you have any idea of what the uh, weather's looking, I- looking like for tomorrow and for the weekend? You know what, Mike? I didn't look at the weather, but... but- my hypothesis is if I haven't heard about the weather, that's usually a good thing because it certainly seems like horse players like to exaggerate the chance of rain and whatnot <laughs> yep. on social media. Yeah, so I, I haven't heard of these. Like you're I, right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if any, I, I don't really know. Um, it looks good. For sure. It looks good. It, I'm okay. looking right now. It, 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 it looks it, pretty it. good. Yeah. Good. That's I mean, always one yeah, of the, I mean, the trickiest things in terms of. Yeah, that's always one of the trickiest things when you're talking about Saratoga in the summer, for me at least, is who's going to be on turf, who's not going to be on turf, what are the scratches, all that kind of stuff. makes things a little bit uh, difficult, but glad to hear it's going to be nice and sunny. Yeah, I think, I think it says high with 80, high 87, low 59, with just a 10% chance of rain Friday night. So, looking good. That's about as good as you could hope for at that time. Yeah, I was just going to say. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the one thing, you know, you, you mentioned the, the Del Mar Saratoga debate. And to me, I'd, I'd like to be at both if I could. But sometimes you just have to take the good weather at Del Mar and you can watch the races at TV on TV at Saratoga. That's kind of my answer. If people ever ask me that. So <laughs> there you go. The, the best of both worlds. Um, exactly. Race two. Race two is a turf sprint for uh, maiden two year old Phillies. We will see a lot of two year old races uh, in the uh, the first couple of days at Saratoga. And some of the stakes races too. So the turf sprint here, um, these are yeah, this is a fun race. You're going to see uh, a Chad Brown obviously show up quite a bit in the uh, in the first few days, and that's going to be no surprise. I'm sure he's going to be right there towards the end of the meet. 
far as the uh, leading trader standings are concerned. Um, who do you like in this one, Scott? Yeah, I mean, you have to give a look, of course, to the brown horse, number four, Drina Chan. But I did some work on these turf sprints uh, because they are tough races. Um, and what I gathered uh, over the past few years is you want to have speed and you want to be on the outside if possible. Obviously, you can win from different spots and, you know, it's, it's not an end-all, be-all, but being outside with speed is definitely a good thing. And I'm going to take, well, obviously, there's a lot of first-timers in here, but number 10 bank, bank exam, examiner is on the far outside. They spend $85,000 for a son of central banker who just stands for 7500 um, She's out of a dam, uh, Scatman Do Dam, that was two for three on the turf. Uh, with a third, and Jeremiah Engelhardt, very capable with, with first-timers um, and first-timers on the grass, looks like coming in off a steady work pattern. So number 10 bank examiner, I think 5-1 to one on the morning line is my top pick. And then if you're spreading, I would use include the Chad Brown horse, of course, Drina Chan. I mean, probably will be an underlay like a lot of his horses, but obviously very capable. And maybe throw in there number 9 Mike's Girl, $160,000 purchase for Steve Asmussen and Midwest Thoroughbreds. Santana well, Mike, and Asmussen have been absolutely lethal lately, haven't they? Who's that? I'm sorry. Santana and Asmussen teamed up. It's just been absolutely uh, unbelievable. No matter where they go, they seem to be, uh, be, be winning in stakes races at Perry Meadows and Lone Star and you name it. They're, uh, they're bringing in the dough. Absolutely, Mike, and and that's probably one of the things I've been most impressed with being in Kentucky, you know, getting to work at Churchill Downs this last meet. You know, the Steve Asmussen barn is, is what stood out to me is just such a great operation. And, and Ricardo Santana Jr. Is, is a great rider. He can get horses out of the gate, and he can finish two things that'll, that are obviously very good skills. I'm hopeful that this meet, you know, he takes advantage of that aggressiveness, and, and especially in some of these turf races where they tend to go slow early. I'm hoping he kind of takes the race to him and can win, bring home some prices. I think he's a great rider, and obviously Asmussen as good as they come as a trainer. And Mike's going to like you for two reasons, because you picked the horse with his name in it. And also because he was going to ask you for some just general Saratoga trends. And you already gave him one right there talking about the turf sprints and the outside and the speed horse, uh, speed horses to the outside. So you're already doing the job for us, Scotty. Uh, I I highlighted that big time, you know, in my notes I'm taking here because I'm listening, talking and taking notes, believe it or not, because I love what Scott's uh, delivering. These are the angles that I look for. You know, inside is, is favorable, outside's favorable, what's good, what do you stay away from, and sprints and routes, you name it. Gino and I were talking about that for a few minutes, so th- those are big things for me, at least, maybe more so than, 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 than Gino, perhaps. And, uh, and we shift into the third race, uh, 40 non-twos, six furlong sprint here. Uh, so how deep do you think you'll need to be in this one to, to get through, Scotty? Yeah, the first note on my page says spread, so um, that, 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 you <laughs> yeah. know, my, I don't have a very strong opinion in here. I'm probably five deep. I'm not all that creative with the horses that I'm using. Uh, one, two, four, six, and eight. I think the, the five and seven are probably long shots, and maybe even the three. I just I have no real feel for this race. It's a conditional non-2N2L 40K claimer. I think it could go several ways. I, I'm not in love with the favorite number two strong side. So I'm going to spread and, and hope maybe to catch one of the prices that I have included in there and, and just hope for the best and, that I don't get beat by a 30 or $40 horse. Well, no need to spend a ton of time talking on a race that we don't have a strong opinion on. So we'll spread in the third and move on to the fourth race. Mile and a 16th on the inner turf. These are maiden 75 claimers, uh, three-year-olds and up. 
And uh, one of the positives that, uh, that I do like is we're talking about the grass races and the dirt races is the one thing that Saratoga does is they definitely do give you some main tracks, the, the MTOs. So a lot of the time, at least if the races come off the grass, they won't just be a field of two or three horses. You'll sometimes at least still get um, some horses that were entered for the uh, for the main track and still fill up the field. But this looks this looks like one of the uh, these good Saratoga races that we're talking about where you can you know, you can make legitimate cases for a lot of these young horses with upside um, who do you lean towards here? You know what? I, I struggled a bit with this race, but I, I definitely think you have to give uh, one of the Brown runners, number four dominant strategy, a big look. He's run on the dirt twice, which is a little concerning to me because Brown's so willing to debut horses on two turns on the turf. But he has worked over the Oklahoma turf, and I believe he's worked well. He ran at first of 12, bullet work, five furlongs, 102 and 2. Um, I think if he can move forward on the drop, I mean, Brown's numbers are, you know, ridiculous maiden, special weight to maiden claiming over his last 73 starters. He's 38%. So I think he's a must use. Number five, Clyde's runner might get over bet, but he's moving up in class. Um, but he did finish pretty well to get second. He's a half to a productive horse by the name of N Play, who uh, also ran under Tom Bush, the trainer. Um, was a one-turn horse, so I'm not in love, but I think he meets a group that is somewhat beatable. And then number eight, Eagle Pass. Jonathan Thomas has been killing it. Uh, he's the trainer for Catholic Boy, who uh, many people might be familiar with, just won the Belmont Derby in impressive fashion. Um, this horse draws outside. They spent $150,000 for the son of Super Saver. The pedigree doesn't scream out turf for me, but Thomas is good enough and kind of hoping that maybe he somewhat gets overlooked because he's a really good young trainer, and I'm just wondering if the Saratoga peeps will, you know, lean on the Browns of the world and maybe let this horse uh, slip on by. And So I'm going to include the first-timer Eagle Pass on the outside. Hey, Scott, let me ask you a question. This is more of kind of a general question, and this this race reminds me of it because you've got a lot of horses that are coming in from out of state, out of circuit. In the Keeneland meet, we saw a lot of fairgrounds shippers come in and do really well. Uh, there was another meet recently, I think it may, may be the Monmouth, the current Monmouth meet, where you've seen a lot of Laurel horses come in and do well. Uh, over the years, are there any maybe tracks where you're like, you know what, hey, when you see a horse coming in from Gulfstream, they tend to do well, not so well, uh, you know, Laurel, Pimlico, you name it. Uh, are there some circuits that, generally speaking, translate pretty well into success at Saratoga, or have you noticed anything? I can't think of anything specific in terms of a positive. Unfortunately, something I have to be aware of since I spent the last several months following Kentucky racing is, a lot of these Kentucky horses and trainers and jockeys have come into Saratoga and struggled over the years. I know I can recall Corey Lannery struggling, Julian Le Peru struggling. I remember Mark Cassie having meets where he was two for 50-ish, if you will. And, and these Giro, are very capable. Jero for a while too, right? Yeah. Yeah, Florent. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's something to be careful, and I'm trying to make sure I'm careful because I have, you know, good notes on these horses, and I think that the two-year-old program was great out here and the turf program, but for whatever reason, I don't know why, but it hasn't translated to Saratoga a lot of the time, so maybe that's something to kind of keep an eye out on early, and and if it sticks, kind of, you know, roll with it. Yeah, that's good info. like that stuff, and and, uh, in the fifth at Saratoga, we're going to see some of these you know, star future star horses because it's a nice two-year-old filly race. Uh, they're going five and a half furlongs. You don't have to look far to see a big purchase from uh, Todd Pletcher, Rapoli, and Eclipse Thoroughbreds. They spent five hundred seventy-five thousand on the one Blonick 
Blah, kind of a great name for a, for a horse there. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Scotty, Scotty, how many of these uh, do you need to use? You're going to be four for four at this time. You're going to have caught a bomb where you spread out in race number three, and you are going to be alive here to how many? Well, I'm definitely using my top pick, which I kind of goes against what I just mentioned about the Kentucky thing. But number three, Wild Type, is a horse that I think is a must-use at six to one on the line. Uh, was really well meant here. Was working extremely well at Churchill. Was bet down to six to five in a ten horse maiden special weight field here, and didn't really get off to a good start and ended up finishing third. Looks like. She's worked well since then uh, at Churchill, and Eddie Keneally is a better trainer second time out than he is first time out. So number three wild type is my top pick and a must-use. I think you have to use Blonick the first half of the coupled entry if they both draw in, which is pro- you know like they're always shopping on the far outside of the other half. I've heard that this horse can run. Pletcher does not have great numbers, believe it or not, with two-year-old Philly first-time starters at Saratoga. I don't have the exact ones in front of me, but I know that. So, I, you know, I think this horse is well, supposed to be the, the goods and might get hammered at the window, but um, not a horse I'm willing to go all in at on, excuse me. And then um, I'm going to use number six and number seven. Number six, two first-time starters. Number six is Lyrical Lady uh, for the aforementioned Steve Asmussen and Ricardo Santana Jr. team. They spent 625000 at the OBS March uh, two-year-old in training sale as a steady work, two of them at Saratoga. And then number seven, Princess Trina. Um, is a uh, Ralph Nix trainee that also has been working well. It's been working well at Belmont, draws Joel Rosario, and might provide a little bit more value than the others. So four deep is how I'm looking, Gino, and hopefully uh, we can get number three wild type home because I'll probably have a win wager at that price. Awesome. Sounds like a winning ticket. Yeah, awesome stuff in that early pick five from Scott Shapiro. So uh, those of you who uh, will be playing along, make sure to – to include some of those exotics. We have a couple stakes races on Friday and then a couple stakes races on Saturday. Let's briefly uh, touch on some of those stakes races while we have Scott on the line. So the eighth race is a Schuylerville, uh, grade three, six furlongs, Phillies, two-year-olds. They will be sprinting. And these are fun races because most of these horses run really well first time out or in their first few starts. And then they all hook up against each other. So you just, it's tough to project, you know, who the best are and then they all hook up kind of fun um races early on in the meet we'll see some of the stakes races at del mar um in the next couple weekends also so how deep do we need to go or who are some of the top contenders that you're looking at in this one scott yeah like you said this is a very challenging race gino you have a lot of horses that ran really well in their debut i think it's a spread race a couple horses i'd make sure i included i thought watching the replay of number three congrats gal coming in from laurel for casal lynch who's um, a real solid trainer, obviously, but not going to get the same kind of support most likely as some of these bigger barns. But I was very impressed visually with what I saw that day uh, from this daughter of congrats. So I would use her, congrats gal. And number four, Fightress, is a Norm Cassie trainee, Mark Cassie's son who went on a, out on his own a few months ago. Um, this horse ran huge on debut. Granted, it was in the mud and it was against Lesser, but completely missed the break that day and still swallowed up the field at 9-2, uh, to two, I believe. Um, so I think this horse has a bright future, $75,000 Keeneland, uh, September 2017 purchase. And then don't be fooled by Lady Apple, who uh, who's the maiden in this race, over 2. Um, I think she's set to run a career-best effort after missing by a neck in the Astoria as a maiden. 
She's been working extremely well from what I've heard um, going into this race, draws well to the outside. Um, but those are just a few of the horses. I in the Sky ran big on debut, and then in the Astoria didn't have a great trip. And I mean, you had Tom Amos horse who was coming in from Indiana that was one to five and wasn't challenged. It's about as tough as it gets this race. I wish I had a stronger opinion for you. Well, yeah, the couple of the price horses that we mentioned, congrats, Gallon Fitress. That, that's that's the approach you have to take in a race like this, right? Where it's wide open on paper. They can all improve so much, and they can all have upside. So I think this is one of those races where we really have to watch come post time and see where's the money going and then who's the value. You know, if you can get double digits on congrats, Gal and Fitress, those, those might be the horses to play. Yeah, absolutely, and and also a good one of the good races to kind of maybe find a filly or two if you're betting the race that, that might be acting up, may not be. I mean, it's going to be a big crowd there on Friday or tomorrow, um, so something to keep an eye out on. Maggie Wolfendale will be in the paddock there. Always does a great job of kind of moving in job. on stuff yeah. too. So yeah, so that could be a, another way to kind of narrow these down. But yeah, this is a race where I would definitely demand value. I expect you know the big name trainers to take the money, but over the years, some of these races have been won by some lower profile conditioners. And Scott, we uh, have uh, about a minute and a half before the next commercial break here, so let's briefly talk about the Lake George. Uh, on paper, at least, it looks like uh, Chad Brown versus Wesley Ward. Uh, do they have the uh, top uh, runners in your opinion? I think Daddy's a little legend. Daddy, sorry, is a legend. Is a little bit of a standout here, actually, in the Lake George. She's really had not had her things her way, whether it be slow paces or um, traffic trouble. But the George Weaver horse we saw out at Del Mar, if you remember, in the Grade Three Jimmy Durante uh, last November, and this horse came with an absolute ferocious late run under Joe Bravo to win going away as the favorite in that race. Um, I'm a little concerned about the lack of speed. However, she was a little closer last time up, and, and there's such little pace in this race that I think Manny Franco can be somewhat aggressive and, and be really up, up and on the pace. Um, if I was going to use another horse, I would, I would, I'm probably going to single Daddy as a legend, but if I was going to use another horse, it would be number five, Good Things Take Time for Jorge Abreu. I thought moved a little early last time in the Pen Oaks at a mile, maybe the stretch out and the race. Uh, kind of off the six-week freshening or six-and-a-half-week freshening might do the trick. But I really thought Daddy is a legend is a standout with a clean trip. Well, you know, I'm glad I asked you that because if you notice the way I framed the question, I actually framed it based on my handicapping. When I asked you, hey, the two standouts seem to be Ward and Chad Brown on paper, I actually, because I'd crossed out Daddy's legend, I'm like, try to beat. So forgot that he's actually 9-5 to because he was one that I tried to beat, and I think I'm now going to uncross that and ah. put as a must-include. <laughs> so <laughs> not that I'm that easily swayed, so but talk. you know what? Sometimes it's good to hear different perspectives, and that's why we like to have somebody like yourself come on the show and give your reasons for or against. You probably understand my reasons against, and, and I understand your reasons for, so uh, I, think, I think that trumps over. Can we get you to hang on with us just a brief moment while we take the next commercial break and come back, talk about the two Saturday stakes races and maybe get some quick thoughts on Del Mar and, and talk about your, uh, uh, your contest, Outcap the Shap? Sounds good. Happy to do so. Okay, great. Then let's take our next and final commercial break, and we'll be back with more with Scott Shapiro. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fan's perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network. And let's talk football. Thunder chickens beware. We're coming for you. This week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav, it's all about the Spring Gobbler Smackdown and our panel of pros are out for beards. Joining us is David Blanton of Bill Jordan's Realtree Outdoors and Monster Bucks, outdoor writer M.D. Johnson, and Pete Muller from the National Wild Turkey Federation. It's presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Friday afternoons at 1 Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Get ready for the Get Down with Hurley Brown. Want to get inside of the minds of the players and coaches? We'll talk everything sports, but with a focus on the NFL, NBA, and college football. We'll review and preview the week's big games. We'll talk about the draft choices and free agents and go inside the teams for news, recruiting, and what's next from the colleges to the pro teams. It's the Get Down with Hurley Brown. Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific, on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back with Scott Shapiro, giving us all the insight on Saratoga for this Saturday. Uh, well, we just wrapped up Friday, and let's now transition to Saturday and get your thoughts on some of the big races that are coming up. What stands out for you, uh, Scotty? Yeah, I think there's a couple stakes, well, right? The ninth, the ninth and the 10th are the two stakes, right? Or the, yeah, the ninth is the Sanford and let's let's hit on the uh, let's hit on the Sanford there. That's a two-year-old oh. six furlong sprint. Yeah, the Sanford's a cool race, and once again, very much Kentucky. I mean, the, the two-year-old Churchill Downs uh, program is very strong, and it's it's shown here uh, as uh, Steve Asmussen and Mark Cassie both hold strong hands, and of course Todd Bletcher. All three of them have two horses. Um, but I think before I got on with you guys, I was told that Dream Maker, who's a Real promising son of Tappet was an early scratch. That was secondhand information, so make sure to check. check no, it's, a, it's official now. Uh, yeah, Equibase, it's a scratch. Equibase okay. is listing it as a scratch now. Yeah, thanks. Good call, okay. Scott. Okay, good. I didn't want to give that up. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know what to make of that. Dream Maker was a horse that um, is a full to Dream Dancing, who was a turf router that you that Mark Cassie also trained and has been, uh, I believe, a great stakes winner little better at two than she was uh in three and four but anyway i mean the other steve asmussen horse number seven bono solo um sold for four hundred thousand. a son of golden sense a first year sire who we know well from the doug o'neill barn a real strong uh, dirt miler um but this horse draws outside he she uh or sorry he uh 
showed a lot of speed in his debut and was kind of geared down late to a three-length win. I think he can relax off the pace, which may be something you need to do in this race because all of these horses, for the most part, other than the Pletchers, show uh, flash speed. And there's actually, I'm sorry, there's three Asmussen horses if you count the one that was scratched. There's also Whiskey Echo, who ran at Belmont. But number seven, Bono Solo, is, is my favorite of the uh, Kentucky-based horses. I was just very visu- much visually impressed with this horse. Kind of has the look of a sprinter. Um, but Mark Cassie also holds uh, a strong hand in here. And, and I actually, I, Dream Maker is Mark Cassie, so I'm all over. I apologize. Um, number eight was Strike Silver. So Mark Cassie scratched Dream Maker has Strike Silver, who actually ran the fastest number, I believe, in the out uh, of his debut, draws outside, comes in from Churchill, beat a, a well-meant uh, Steve Asmussen horse by the name of Nitrous uh, by a neck. It, they both ran real big. So I would lean towards the outside, too. Number seven, Bono Solo. Number eight, Strike Silver. I, I didn't think the Todd Pletcher's were that impressive. Obviously, he's very capable in these races, to say the least, but neither of them really uh, caught my eye when watching the replays, so I'll probably try to beat knowing that they'll take some money. Then you go from uh, young horses, young colts sprinting to the Diana, where we have fillies and mares, three-year-olds and up going long on the grass, and as one would imagine, uh, the race begins with Chad Brown, just loaded in every one of these races. Like in every turf route division, males, females, older, younger, every age, you name it, Brown is just loaded. So where do you start um, in this field, Scott? Yeah, like you said, Chad Brown, obviously loaded. He's won this event the last two years, including last year. Uh, two, last year with Lady Eli, I believe two years ago, was with the Sita. So he obviously uh, knows how to win this race, and it's important to him being from Saratoga. Of the Brown runners, I was uh, most into number one sister, Charlie. Um, she was beaten last time out by a stablemate four-star crook in the mile and a quarter in New York. She cuts back to a mile and an eighth. She beat that one last time, and it was just a matter of, I think, which one got the jump on each other in those two races. I think she has a tremendous late kick. And as long as they don't go too slow up front, which it doesn't appear on paper that they would, I think she's the likeliest to run them down. And then out of the non-Brown horses, number two, Proctor's Ledge, was a horse I uh, was fortunate enough to have uh, on Derby Day in the Distaff Mile. Um, I think that she should like to stretch out from a mile to a mile and an eighth, and she should have a great mid-pack trip. She's two for two at Saratoga. She's two for five with two seconds um, at the distance, a mile and an eighth. And she's just a really nice-looking big horse for trainer Brendan Wall. So I'm one and two in there. One, The sister Charlie's my top pick, and then Proctor's Ledge is my backup. Well, I'll tell you, that German bread has been pretty sharp since coming over to the States, hasn't she? Oh, my, Raving Beauty? Yeah, she sure has. I'm a little concerned, Mike, that she may regress off that big performance and adjust the game. She moved forward quite a bit on numbers, and she did get a perfect trip that day. To me, this is her toughest task yet, but she certainly has done absolutely nothing wrong, both visually and, you know, numbers-wise, to get coming over. And, you know, any of these Browns are capable. It's just a matter of which one a lot of days. But I I think I'm going to hope that she regresses off of that effort. That sounds good. So the one and two, Sister Charlie, Proctor's Ledge. There you have it for the uh, Diana. Um, Anything any else other for thoughts? Scott? Yeah, I was going to say, Scotty took us through the, the, the yeah. Friday Saratoga pick five. We got both stakes races from Friday. We had the stakes races on Saturday. Very lucky to have you on. So, Scott, we'll bring you back a couple times uh, throughout the meet, and we'll pick your brain on Saratoga because like, uh, I love – 
talking to the people who handicap the races. We love talking with you. But in particular, I love talking to someone who handicaps the races every day, every race, because you know what's going on at the meet. You notice the little trends. Um, you'll just find things that someone who may not handicap every race every day there will see. So we'll, we always appreciate having you on. You're a great follow. Um, give the folks some of the information. Tell us about the, uh, the contest you're doing right now and where can we find you on social media? Out cap to shout. Yeah, you, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at ScottShap34. You can follow uh, my writing um, and some video work um, on there or on the uh, Twin Spires uh, Twitter feed and then on the Twin Spires and Bet America. Uh, .com blogs is where a lot my, most of my writing is. And then real quick, just the, the promo we're doing at Twin Spires right now. Um, every Wednesday at Del Mar, it's called Out Cap to Shap. We offer up $1,000 automatically and then an extra 1000 if you're able to hit the pick four sequence and I am unable to. So I'll put out a ticket uh, the morning of uh, or after scratches. It'll be finalized, and it has to be $100 or less. All you have to do is opt in on the Twin Spires offers page, and then you're automatically entered. If you hit the pick four, and I do, you'll split $1,000 with everybody that on Twin Spires that hit it with you. If I don't hit, like yesterday, I did not hit. Eight people hit, so they split $250 a piece they got because they split 2000 nice. on top of 888 bucks. So nice. it's great not promo. a bad little deal. That's really nice. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Awesome. Yeah, so awesome. Definitely, if you're playing, yeah, definitely. If you're thinking, it gives you a little motivation. If you're on the fence on playing, and then if you're going to play the sequence, it's pretty obvious that you should just dive in. It's just free money at that point. So, great stuff, Scotty. We'll be talking to you again very soon. Thanks a bunch, man, and best of luck all summer. I hope you have a great one, and I hope you just make a ton of money. Thanks again, buddy. Thanks, Scotty. Thanks, guys. Let's get it off to a good start. I look forward to talking soon. Sounds good. Awesome stuff from Scott Shapiro. Uh, yeah, it was, you know, it's funny. The stuff that we were talking about before where we were like trying to figure out, okay, should we be general with stuff and set the show up? He hit a lot of things that we would have asked him either way, you know? So, so we, yeah, we, we, I mean, we covered I mean, a lot of the things that we were going to ask. Absolutely. It was funny. No, you're, you're he did exactly a great job. right. He did you're a great exactly job. Right. Yeah, he's, you he know, he gets it. He knows because he, he's been he, in he our does. spot. He's, the, he's been in our spot with the seminars that he's doing. So he knows the questions that we would want to ask. And he knows the stuff that you and us, that people, the handicappers want to hear. So, yeah. And you know, and I think that's, you kind of hit it right there. The handicappers, because everybody's got a different handicapping style that works for them. You know, and it's really interesting because sometimes you've got people that know more than anybody. And they may not be as successful as somebody who's got maybe certain angles or vice versa. Right. It it just, it depends on, yeah, it just, yeah, it depends on the day. And so that's why I always enjoy hearing different perspectives, different styles. You know, how are you seeing it? How's somebody else seeing it? Somebody may see it exclusively from just the, uh, you know, the on paper perspective, somebody else may, you know, be really into watching race replays like yourself. And I think for Saratoga, you really have to be right. I mean, I, and, I, and then sometimes I get too inside the weeds, you know, sometimes you like you just need to take a step back and be a little more simple. Other times, you know, you have to dig deeper and find stuff. And, you know, in a grass race at Saratoga with 12 horses where they all look different, then you really are going to have to dig a little bit more. But sometimes it is just a simple angle like that. Hey, the outside and the speed and the turf sprints are are stronger. So then that doesn't mean that 
every time you're looking for the 10 horse, that's the, that's the speed of the speed. But the, what that means is, you know, when you're formulating your pick four or your pick five and you're leaning between using one horse or another horse, you're probably going to lean towards the horse, maybe towards the outside that has some speed. It's going to help you in a lot of different little ways, you know? Yeah. And you know what, what I do a lot of times, um, you know, when, when constructing a ticket is I'm looking at it from the perspective, perspective of how can I hit a big ticket? Right. Sure. I don't want to necessarily hit the hundred, $150 ticket, $160 ticket. Not today. Those, that's okay. And some days, not today. Sure. Today, I want to go for the one that's four digits or above. So sure. a lot of times I'll look at it and I'll say, you know what? Everybody's going to be keying in on this horse. This horse so is I'm so obvious. Him. I'm so just going to quoting Dave Weaver, I'm going to chuck him out. Got a contrarian right? play. You yeah, got a contrarian play. And a lot of yeah, and usually when I will do that, Gino, is when there is something that supports it, right? Like, the outside is terrible, or sure. the in, don't play the inside, or whatever. Or there might the, be know. a lot of speed in the race, and that horse Yeah, is like, horse, I can't just chuck know? him out just... For no reason. Yeah, for, there, there has to be a reason. Yeah, yeah exactly. That, and I'll that, tell you that's when you take the approach, you know? Exactly. I'll tell you a quick funny story about Del Mar. So, last summer, I actually went to Del Mar more than I'd ever been before since I moved from San Diego. Um, it's a great time. I encourage anybody who has not gone to Del Mar, you got to go. It's such such a great experience, such a fun time. Like Scott said, you know, it's maybe not quite like Saratoga where you leave the track and it's 24-7. But you go to restaurants and you'll see that they're selling racing forms and stuff like that. There is definitely a horse racing feel in that community. Nonetheless, I'd spent all night handicapping, watching race replays, tons of notes. My dad was kind of tired, so he went to bed early. Didn't really handicap at all. Long story short, very first race I think Martin Pedroza pops at like 18 to 1. I don't have it. My dad's got it. How'd you come up with it, Dad? Well, I like Martin Pedroza in sprint races. Anything beyond that? Nope. That happened all day. He just went with little tiny little angles, and all of my work was worth zilch. And uh, he, you know, he had a couple of nice pick threes, had some nice win bets, some, uh, you know, hundred dollar exactas. So, you know, anyways, funny story about just sometimes you put in all the work, it doesn't work out. And hey, other times you connect all the dots. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we thank Scott Shapiro from Twin Spires for coming in, giving us some good tips on Saratoga. And we will be back next week talking more racing and recapping what happened in this past weekend, talking about all the trades and everything else in the sports world. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.